the best messages that comes out of learning all of this is actually how extremely resilient and adaptable we are and how capable we are when things aren't what we consider perfect, even in the face of injuries or findings on an MRI that we would normally think are, are awful, like how incredibly amazing the human structure is and everything that we can do and we can tolerate. That was Jules Mitchell, and I'm Henry Winslow. You're listening to Dharma Talk. Hey, Dharma Talkers. Thank you for being here for the final countdown of this podcast series. Coming right up is your penultimate, that's a fancy word for second to last, episode of Dharma Talk. That's right. After this, there's only one more episode left to wrap up this 108 episode series. Real quick, before we get into it, I want to let you know that as this coronavirus pandemic continues to escalate and calls for shelter in place, quarantine and lockdown measures are being taken more seriously, I'm still here to support you in your yoga practice at home. This whole turn of events feels unprecedented and everyone is rightly just taking things one day at a time. Like everybody else, I'm doing my best to remain in service and trying to support you all in this challenging moment, however I can. So first, we've extended the discount on Henry Yoga app. That means you can still lock in lifetime access to my 40-day systematic curriculum for $25 with promo code HOMEPRACTICE. Sign up at henryyoga.com. Second, I started offering donation-based live stream classes. It's entirely free to sign up and donations are welcomed but not required. Sign up at live.henrywins.com. So that's two offerings. Go to henryyoga.com and use code HOMEPRACTICE for the app and head to live.henrywins.com to register for my donation-based live stream classes. I'll see you on the mat. Okay, what do you get when you cross a curious mechanical engineer with a dedicated yoga teacher? Nope, this isn't a joke. If you're looking for punchlines, check out last week's episode, number 106 with the Yogi Show Boys. No, what you get is my guest on this week's show, Jules Mitchell, a yoga educator who has introduced a generation of yoga teachers to the field of biomechanics. Biomechanics, huh? What's that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Concisely put, Biomechanics is the study and application of mechanical laws to the movement, structure, and function of living organisms. It's an evolving scientific discipline, a cousin of kinesiology, perhaps, that sits at the cross-section of biology, physics, and engineering. And it attempts to answer, or at least investigate, questions like how do our tissues respond to various types of force, stress, and tension? As Jules will explain in our conversation, the rules of classical physics simply cannot apply when it comes to living systems. Our human bodies have resilience. They respond and they react. And underneath or behind those responses and reactions, there's a nervous system. There is awareness. There is consciousness. 
So where are the forces and physics at play, and where are our human emotions actually behind the steering wheel? Can we disentangle the physical science from the psycho-spiritual introspection? Does it matter? These are some of the questions that this thought-provoking conversation stirred up in me, and are at the root of Jules' teaching and writing. All that and more are coming up in a few. But first, let's take a minute to thank our sponsors. This episode is brought to you in part by Warrior Bridge NYC. Dharma Talkers, Warrior Bridge can really use your support right now. Like all yoga studios and many other businesses in New York City and nationwide, they have been forced to close their doors due to the current global health crisis. However, the COVID-19 pandemic has not stepped in the way of Warrior Bridge's commitment to service and meeting students of multidisciplinary movement wherever they are. They now have their signature classes available through daily live streams, covering yoga, flexibility, handstands, and even acro, you know, in case you're quarantined with a partner. Through the end of April, all classes will be available on a pay-what-you-can donation basis. As an FYI, Warrior Bridge is still hoping to hold their July teacher trainings in anatomy and movement and partner acrobatics, but we'll be watching how the situation develops along with everyone else. Visit warriorbridge.com for all the details. This episode is brought to you in part by Way Team Shop. Have you guys seen the Dharma Talk t-shirts, leggings, and gear for sale on my website? You think I pulled all that together myself? No way. I don't have time to manage an e-commerce platform, let alone design, produce, and fulfill merchandise to fans and supporters of the show. That's all Way Team Shop. At Way Team Shop, quote, it's our dharma to help businesses like yours get what they need in 2020 and beyond. With a team shop, now you, your yoga studio, business, or personal brand have the ability to buy and sell your custom branded gear online and in store. Don't worry about hiring a retail manager or professional designer. Way Team Shop designs your collection, builds your shop, and manages the entire experience for only $99 per month, all with no minimum order quantities or setup fees. You can save hundreds, if not thousands, through Way Team Shop's product and design services compared to the traditional retail routes. And you'll be able to stay focused on your business while they get to work for you. Way Team Shop makes it easy for you to fill your online or brick-and-mortar retail section with a variety of gear while never running out of sizes again. Everything is available for sale online 24-7. Plus, they'll market and advertise your shop on their website and social media. Best of all, you keep 100% of the profit. I'll let Way Team Shop have the last word here. We are more than a store. We are your team. Get your team shop today. Head to wayteamshop.com and get on your way today. All right, back to the show. Jules Mitchell, M-S-C-M-T-R-Y-T, at Jules Yoga on Instagram, is a Las Vegas-based yoga teacher, educator, and massage therapist. She blends the tradition of yoga with her extensive study in biomechanics to help teachers develop their craft and empower them with education. She regularly contributes to yoga teacher training programs and leads workshops worldwide, balancing the somatic aspects of yoga with the most current exercise science. 
Bringing the most useful and applicable pieces of that science into the yoga community is her passion, even when it invokes a discerning analysis of tradition. Her book, Yoga Biomechanics Stretching Redefined, is now available through Handspring Publishing. If you enjoy this episode of Dharma Talk and you want to know more about Jules and everything that she has going on in her world, then please head to dharmatalk.show and type Jules in the search bar. There you will find all the notes, highlights from the episode with timestamps, and even the links from this episode. And if you're looking for something to read, check out Jules's book, or check out the running list of every book ever recommended on Dharma Talk, including Jules's recommended book. You can find that at henrywins.com slash books. So go there and pick one out. And the last thing to interject here before we get into the show is a big thank you to my dear friend Jamie Golub for recently making a monthly recurring donation to Dharma Talk. When I told Jamie, you know what, I should let you know the podcast is actually going to be ending soon, he said, don't worry, Henry, I'm going to keep it up as long as I can because I should have done it a long time ago. So, Jamie, thank you so much. I really appreciate you. You're too kind. And should anyone else like to make a donation to Dharma Talk as a final show of gratitude or to support the cost of the show, you can always do that at henrywins.com slash donate. Okay, that's enough of a preamble from me. Let's get into it. Without further ado, please enjoy my interview with Jules Mitchell. Jules Mitchell on Dharma Talk. I've heard so much about you. We have not had the chance to meet yet in person, but I'm looking forward to getting a chance to know you from a safe um, uh, public health approved distance here. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Virtual introduction. Virtual introduction. So how are you doing over there in, in Las Vegas? Um, we're okay. We're just, all of us are staying indoors. <laughs> Um, spending a lot of time on Zoom, <laughs> a lot more than I ever thought I would. Yeah, yeah, totally. Zoom, Zoom has seen a rise in usership. I'm sure in yeah. epic proportions. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, let's dive in. My okay. first question uh, is the same for everyone that I have on the show, so I'm going to ask you this question first, and the conversation tends to steer itself organically from there. All right. What does the word dharma mean to you? And what is your dharma as you understand it today? Hmm. Well, that's a like normally a very clear answer, except that we're in the middle of this strange pandemic. So the answer, I don't know. I don't know how, how relevant it is, but we'll just kind of roll with it. Uh, dharma to me is uh, just living your truth, I guess, would be the easiest way to explain what I think dharma is. Uh, you almost to the point where you like, you don't have a, almost a conscious choice. Like it's just, you fall into this truth that is almost predetermined for you, um, one way or another. And I think I'm absolutely there. I don't know that I always knew I would end up here. Like that's kind of what I mean by it. Um, you know, I was, I was raised by an engineer and a university professor and I teach biomechanics, <laughs> you know, so it's kind of like a, a, a merging of my upbringing, yet mm -hmm. I never set, I never set out to say, this is what I want to do. You know what I mean? It was like, I, one day I kind of looked around and was like, oh, of course this is 
what I do, but the path was long and complicated and, uh, was never, this was never on the horizon in any sort of intention, even though every little piece of my life and every choice that I made led me here deliberately, but the, the map wasn't laid out for me, if that makes sense. It does make sense. And I think a lot of people can, can relate to that. Mm-hmm. We tend to find, sometimes it takes these little steps that all make sense and all seem natural uh, to come together. When you get to this point where you look around, you're like, oh, okay, this is, this is where I am. What yeah. was it that you were setting out to do earlier on that, and, and how did it get rerouted into where you are now? Um, you know, I don't even know that I was ever setting out to do anything. <laughs> I just, you know, I mean, I, I was, I was kind of fortunate enough to, you know, be raised by educated parents and academics. And so like, it was, I just got funneled into the university at 18. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's really young to make life decisions. So I just didn't know, I just didn't know what I wanted to do. Like I was like, Oh, I'll study engineering. Cause that's what my dad does. But like, not because I had any interest in it at, at 17, you know, and you know, I was just good at math, but that was really it. And then I discovered women's studies. And so I was like, Oh, this is what I'm going to be as my major, uh, which I think was very important for me. Again, now looking today as a, as a, you know, woman in an industry where a, a lot of the kind of, you know, lead teachers are men. So I think that was kind of interesting. A lot of the authors are men, um, even though it's a women's, you know, yoga is a women's space for the most part. I just find it very interesting. So anyway, so I, I did that, but I don't, I don't have any career goals with women's studies. It was just like, well, here I am at school. I'm going to study what I want. And because I liked math, I kept math as a minor. And so I studied a lot of math and then I took time off bartending, you know, just to get like, you know, who knows? Um, and then I got bored of bartending kind of like I, I, I got to do more than this with my life. And so I went back into engineering school, but now I was a young adult and went because I actually was fascinated by it, um, which is different than when I was originally going and studied engineering and life kind of derailed me. Um, my mom was sick. My, both my parents were sick. So I had to, and I'm the oldest sibling. So I do a lot of caretaking for them and things just didn't finish. I just didn't finish the program. There was a lot of surgeries and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then eventually two deaths. And so it was just a a, a long, long period of my life that was kind of preoccupied with that. And in that time I was teaching yoga and still bartending. Um, so when all everything settled and it was like, okay, now what I'm going to do, I decided to go to graduate school and didn't really know what, but I'd been teaching yoga now for quite some time and I had a lot of questions about the practice and realized I wasn't getting it from going to, at the time there were still yoga conferences and like yoga journal conferences. And I was going to workshops everywhere and traveling to like see every teacher. And I realized I wasn't getting the answers to my questions. So I went to the university again, just being raised by an academic. That's the, what my default, like, let's go to school and, uh, spoke with the Dean of the exercise science program. And she took one look at my resume and said, you should study biomechanics. And I was like, what is biomechanics? I had no idea. Um, and the reasoning was because it's so much 
physics and math. And most of the kinesiology graduates, um, they have a, a strong biology background, but it's hard to just teach someone who's not into physics and math that, you know, all the engineering mm -hmm. stuff. And I'd done all of the math requirements for an engineering degree. So I was like, all right. I just again, didn't even know what it was. And by the time I, there was also another long process making that happen. By the time I ended up in a program, I was in my first, uh, first biomechanics course. And I like was literally, my jaw was hanging open because I was like so amazed that this information about how our tissues behaved was available. Like there were graphs and there was equations that we could do. And I'm like looking around the room at a bunch of 22 year old graduate students that are bored to tears. And I'm in my thirties, <laughs> like, Oh, like, like so excited. Like, we're Oh my God, this exists. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all like, you know, like drooling and sleeping. And I'm like, what's wrong with you guys? Because they were where I was when I was younger, you know, like I just hear right. cause my parents sent me here. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, but for me, it had real life meaning because um, I was already teaching yoga and I already had these questions. So it was like immediately applied to uh, what my interests were and what my work was. So it, it had an right. immediate professional uh, impact. Well, not and only so, did it already have an, a professional impact for you, you also already had these questions that had been yes. failed to be answered in yes. other places that you've looked. So yes. I can imagine that like you're here and it's like, okay, I finally found an outlet to explore yes. yoga from my background as an engineer, as a mathematician. Yes. So, okay, carry on. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was pretty much it. But, you know, then I had, you know, uh, three, four years of trying to figure out what to do with it, you know, and that was mm -hmm. also very difficult. But I knew very early on, I knew I was like, these, this is going to be, this is going to not only answer my questions, but I think if I can, if I can take all this information, digest it, and then turn around and provide it to other yoga teachers, like, I think I, I knew that. And I was like, I think this is going to be something like, I think I'm not the yeah. only one that has these questions. I can't be. And sure enough, I'm not. So, <laughs> so cool. I, it started to right. formulate then, but it was like, oh, this is why I went back to engineering school. Oh, this is why I studied women's studies. Oh, mm -hmm. this is why, you know, it was like all these reasons. I didn't know what I was doing earlier. Completely. So. I know exactly what you mean. It's like, okay, now all the puzzle pieces mm -hmm. fit together when they might've seen like just disparate things that didn't have a through line and yeah. now now it's all cohesive okay yeah. so for those listening right now who are completely um unfamiliar <laughs> with with biomechanics can you give us sort of in a nutshell a summary of what that means and how it applies to yoga practice um yeah i mean that, that was i struggled with that too so um so biomechanics mostly you know if we break down the two words bio so we're dealing with living living, you know, structures, living entities here. Um, and then biomechanics, or mechanics, which is basically physics. Um, so we're applying physics to the human body. Mm -hmm. um, but it, because the human body doesn't, you know, it, it's living and there's a nervous system and there, you know, it, there, it doesn't, it's not in a direct translation. Like you can't take the the concepts that you would take in a statics class where you would need to you know determine how much um how much how many cars a suspension bridge could tolerate before it fails like you can't apply those exact principles to living tissues because living tissues have cells that make more tissue you know what i mean so it's not mm -hmm. it it 
biomechanics is so fascinating because it's a really great place to start the discussion, but we always have to um, like fall back on, okay, but it's not the same as physics. <laughs> uh, so it's very complicated. And that's one of the things I really struggled with when I was like trying to figure out how to make classic biomechanics relevant to yoga teachers, because um, it's not like there's, there's different areas of biomechanics um, and some of them will be, you know, like just kind of trying to figure out how much force the hamstrings need to produce in order to hold a certain shape. Like that would be a biomechanical equation. The problem is, is if you can do that equation, you can do the, the math for that, which is super fun and use trigonometry and, you know, all this, like, I love those, you know, free body diagrams, but that doesn't actually make you teach yoga better. Like if you could calculate how much force the hamstrings need to produce, can you teach downward dog better to a person in front of you? And so like there's this, there's this value in biomechanics and then there's not like, what is, what does it really mean in the context of yoga? Um, and so I really struggled like trying to make things important. And what I really finally settled on was the area of biomechanics called tissue mechanics. And that's really how tissue behaves when it's put under tension and compression, you know, how tissue behaves when forces are applied and not only how it behaves, but how it adapts. And I think that's really the key message um, in biomechanics for us is this, this idea of adaptability. You know, the suspension bridge example I gave earlier, you know, if, it, if a suspension bridge were made out of living tissue, the more cars you put on it, the more cars it would begin to be able to tolerate, which is the opposite of you know, material science. So I think mm -hmm. that was where I really ended up. And that's now the focus. And it's great for yoga, because we're so in the discussion of injuries, and we're so involved in the discussion of safety and all of that. And I think having a really solid foundation in tissue mechanics makes you able to navigate those conversations better. Yeah, this is very interesting stuff. And I think people who maybe don't have a background in biomechanics tend to come up with their own frameworks for figuring these sort of things out. Like uh, how much pressure can I apply in order to increase strength or increase flexibility, mobility, and how much is pushing the limit to eventually hurt myself. Mm -hmm. And when you apply the framework that you're talking about, it seems like maybe we have a more systematic or even scientific you know, scientific approach to figuring out where that line is. What has your experience been with, uh, with training other yoga teachers to think in this way who don't have the same background as you? Um, it's generally pretty successful and positive. Um, uh, I think one of the the best messages that comes out of learning all of this is actually how extremely resilient and adaptable we are mm -hmm. and how capable we are and not only how capable we are, but, um, but how capable we are when things aren't what we consider perfect, you know, when even in the face of injuries or, or, you know, um, you know, findings on an MRI that we would normally think are, are awful, like how incredibly amazing the human structure is and everything that we can do and we can tolerate. And I think that's one of the sources of positive reception. I think that's the opposite of what many of us learned. You know, I know I learned in a model of fragility, you know, if this, if this 
doesn't feel right, avoid it at all costs because you're mm -hmm. damaging it. And now it's like, if this doesn't feel right, figure out a way to, to do it in a way that you can, <laughs> because that's the best thing you can do is, you know, show your body how capable you are. Uh, and the avoid it at all costs just kind of creates fear and, and a lot of guarding. So I think that's the kind of the, I, I water it down so that you don't have to do the math, but I explain the yeah. concepts. And then once you get the concepts, then you're like, oh, okay. And then you can really start to think about how you teach and how you practice. Mm -hmm. and, and what about your practice? You know, I, I, you mentioned that coming up as a yoga teacher, you were seeking out all of these different seasoned teachers, looking for new information to answer your lingering questions. Mm -hmm. But what was that purely from like, did you have those questions out of an intellectual kind of scholarly mindset or were you coming up against blockages in your practice? Like, what was it that was causing you to seek out that information? Uh, I think it was both. I think it was just that after, you know, I, I've been practicing yoga since college. So after uh, 10 years of practice, like that had been my thing. That was, that was my, you know, I'm going to, call it exercise because that's what it was to me. You know what I mean? It was obviously it was more, but like that was my movement practice um, aside from yeah. an occasional running. Yeah. So I started to get injuries. I think that was like kind of the first thing. And at the same time I you was did. teaching. Okay. So I was teaching and then I was getting injuries and I was getting your typical injuries like the, you know, anterior shoulder, the, you know, the high hamstring, you know, tendinopathy, the anterior hip. Like I was getting these things that were, I was not only feeling in my body, but seeing across the board, um, like with my friends and teachers and, and colleagues. And, and then I was teaching and then I was like, well, how can I teach, how can I teach if I don't understand this, <laughs> you know, like, so, and, and again, at that time, and this was a long time ago. So at that time it was even before that book came out on all the yoga injuries, the science of yoga or whatever it was, you know, it was like, so we were still, we were still in this phase as a, as a yoga community that was like yoga fixes everything. You know, we hadn't had that fall from grace yet. At least I yeah. hadn't and not my communities. Uh, you know, it was very much like, like all you need is yoga. Yoga fixes everything. Yoga helps with everything. There's, there's, and, and all of the, all of the instructions that you're given in, in a class are, support that, you know? And so it was mm -hmm. like, I would have, I was like, wait, wait a minute, if that's the case, why am I getting weird injuries? Like this is, I don't, I, it wasn't reconciling in my mind. Right. Weird so. injuries that I'm seeing other people have also Yeah, the same ones patterns. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So that was really, so it was both, it was about my practice and it was intellectual and it was about my teaching. It was all three. Okay. <clears throat> okay. So uh, having come across this, you finally found some answers to these questions. And you, of course, you integrated that after you studied into your teaching and your teacher training. What does it look like for you to integrate that into your personal practice? Oh, gosh, it's so hard to answer that because it I'm it, sure that's a huge question. Well, it just yeah. changes. Like it's not I think that's the most important part is that it changes day to day and it changes month to month and it changes year to year. Um, so that my practice is like, it can be so many different things. And, you know, for a while it was, 
you know, not much on the mat and then lots of other modalities and then it's back to the mat. And, you know, it's like, it's just, um, it's just a larger, (laughs) it's actually really much more about yoga. You know, it's like a larger, like, um, sense of personal, you know, needs, embodiment, like what, you know, like just, uh, you know, uh, life. Like I'm now dealing with me as the person and not me as the person doing the poses, but Mm -hmm. me as the whole person and all other aspects of my life as well. So it's just, it's just too hard to say like, oh, this is how it affected, you know? And, but one thing I will say that I really, I got from your question, you're like, oh, you know, now that you have these answers, I actually don't have any answers. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I didn't get through all my studies. I didn't get a single answer. But what I got was just that, that we we really don't know. There's so much we don't know. But without diving into these complex topics and looking at what we do know, you can't grasp what we don't know. Do you know what I mean? It's, so it's like this weird, like, okay, I don't have an answer, but I can tell you all the stuff that we know. And from there, now you have a really strong foundation and a really educated stance in order to work with your students and then assess what the results are and then make a, another educated decision from that. Because at the end of the, at the end of the day, that's all we're really doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I follow. It sounds, I mean, one thing that I'm getting from everything that you're saying is that there was a time when you looked at yoga a certain way and some people probably still do, which is that you do it the way mm-hmm. that it's prescribed mm-hmm. and you follow with faith mm-hmm. and you have a good intention and everything mm-hmm. works out. And now your view has become complicated by all the variance in different people's mm-hmm. bodies and all the differences in, in a single person's body from day to day and mm-hmm. various factors playing on the the biomechanics of the body. Mm-hmm. So, and also the psychosocial aspects, you know, sure, this course. is a time this is a stressful time and, and I'm okay with changing the, you know, my, my daily practice as a, as a result of, of that, you know, it's a lot less it's right. like yeah, going for a walk, <laughs> you know, so like I guess my getting question, outside and going for a walk. Yeah, that's yeah, like what I've got. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what I need right now. And I now. think it's, e- it's easier for, <laughs> It's easier for someone to make that judgment call for themselves, but when you're in the position of being a teacher and leading others, mm. then then you face potentially resistance from mm-hmm. students and maybe peers who mm-hmm. want to do it the old tried and true way. Mm-hmm. So has that been a part of your experience, like the the inherent critique of tradition that comes with integrating like a newer form of science into into yoga? Um, it, it hasn't, but I, that doesn't mean it hasn't been there. I just, Mm -hmm. you know, I mostly lead education courses. It's been a long time since I've had a regular group class, partially just because I'm on the road all the time. And the other reason being that I've just been moving a lot. When I was writing my book, I just had a lot going on in my personal life. I've moved like four times in the last three years. So just like, I just didn't, have roots and I was on, on an airplane all the time. And so the people that take my education courses, the people that 
that sign up and attend three days of biomechanics lecture, there's like a selection bias. They're already, they're already receptive to the story. Otherwise they right. wouldn't sign up for it. If I don't just have people rolling in off the street, you know what I mean? So it's like, got a, there's definitely a selection bias. That doesn't mean that the people who don't sign up have all of that. <laughs> uh, they just don't really enter the room with me. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure it's on social media as well, but you, you know, uh, just, as my like day-to-day -day experience, I would say I don't see it that much, even though I know it exists. And then same, I've had private clients, of course, but again, they're seeking me out. And so they're, they're already expecting my message. Right. They've done their research. But, but you're someone who's out there. I mean, you've, you've published a book of, mm -hmm. like you said, you're on social media. I mean, we're in an age where you're exposed to people who, have raised their hand in agreement with what you're doing and mm -hmm. everybody else at yeah. 24 seven, 365. So I think, I guess what I'm taking away is that you just don't really focus on those people who are going to troll or whatever. Yeah. I mean the troll. Yeah. I mean, of course there's always an occasional troll. Um, I just, the, it's so funny because I spend like my whole, my whole work model is based on helping people define terms so that we can have really good conversations about things. So we all are talking about the same thing. And, and when people just kind of spout out on social media, like I can't even respond because they're speaking through a lens and I'm speaking through a different lens and it would take a three hour lecture to be like, okay, let's clear the air of feelings and emotions and let's clear the air and be really specific on what it is we're talking about and what the terms mean. And now we can have a conversation about it. And then if we disagree, there's, it's not emotional, but like, I can't do that on a, on a, on a tweet. So I just ignore it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, like I can tell, you can tell that there, there's so much emotion there. They've already decided what you think, that what you think is wrong, that you can't even, I just, you can't go there. Like it just doesn't. So yeah, I just tend to walk away. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think people, gen, of course there are exceptions, but generally people do not make comments on social media posts to engage in no. an objective, rational yeah. discussion. They're yeah. there to virtue signal or, or yeah. trash talk somebody. But they've already formulated an opinion. I mean, you go right. to a science conference and they disagree like crazy, but it's never like, you're wrong, I'm right. It's just harsh disagreement based on a lot of evidence. And that's okay. Like, it's not a personal, it's not personal, I guess. And social media even is just, even though it's super separate, it's still, there's a lot of personal, <laughs> a personal stuff being lashed around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just so there's there's a takeaway for some for some folks listening. Mm -hmm. If you're if you're struggling with all of that, then just get people into one room eventually once it's mm -hmm. safe to do so and yes. have a have a sit down, have an actual conversation. Well, and we that's what's get... nice. Like with my courses, like I teach teachers, so I get to have a sit down for three days with people and talk about. And I, it's three days because I don't I need more than a day. A, a day I have to tell a whole story, and it takes a few days to unfold. You know, on day one I get these questions and I'm like, we'll get there on Sunday. I promise. But I, I can't answer that because you don't have enough information. In fact, I hear in your question that you're not even asking the right question because once I give you more information, you're going to 
change the framework of that question and you're going to get a better answer, but we're not there yet, you know? And so I'd spend three days on it and then they go out into the world and they share it with their communities. So it's like just a slow unfolding, you know, I, I can't change everybody's mind, <laughs> but I can, I can change a few people's mind and then they can pass that on to their students and then they can pass that on to their friends and that, you know, it just takes time. <laughs> Well, three, three days gives you, yeah, gives you plenty of time to go from the gross to the subtle and yep. to application as a teacher. And I realized that it's a tall order to be able to get into any meaningful uh, degree of that in a, in a short podcast. But I would love if you feel up to it, if you could give us sort of an introduction to the sort of things that you do introduce in those weekends. And um, perhaps you can answer it by talking about what you, what you discuss in the book and your book, Biomechanics Stretching Redefined. Yeah. Um, I'll do my best. Um, I've I recently redesigned my courses, my biomechanics courses. I teach other courses as well, but the biomechanics ones to kind of reflect the chapter sequence of the book the book is really uh, a lot. <laughs> it's uh, it's pretty technical. I would put it under the category of a, of a textbook almost. And if I, when I kind of redesigned my courses to match the chapter sequence, I felt like it gave them, the, the attendees, a, a framework with which to go back and reference the book. And so that's kind of what I've done just this last season. And so I'll just do that here in a really short way, maybe three minutes instead of three days. <laughs> but I basically <laughs> do chapter one. I spend time on chapter one just telling people what biomechanics is. And, you know, I it, it's I can give you the coined answer. Oh, it's how force affects, you know, human movement structure and function. But that doesn't mean anything to anyone. And if I, you know, when I start a weekend course, I ask people to define biomechanics and there's all sorts of different definitions and they're all not, they're all great. Uh, but they're, if I ask people to expand upon them, they're like, well, um, and they suddenly lose confidence. And so I spend the first chapter really like breaking down what biomechanics is, how it's studied, even though that will never be part of your answer on what biomechanics is, the you know, entire chapter, I give enough examples that I think people are, can really grasp it. Like, okay, now I understand. I just think this biomechanics is a buzzword that gets misused quite often. So I really go into what force is and all of that. And then the second chapter, I talk about stretching because that's actually where my work started because I thought we were all getting stretching injuries in yoga. I thought that's what was going on. And so I talk about stretching and I talk about why we stretch and really address it in terms of range of motion and why people think that's great. And then near the end of chapter two say, okay, um, you know, I'm not going to talk about range of motion anymore because it's frankly not that interesting. <laughs> and, uh, and let's talk about stretching as, as tension, like t tissues under tension, which is different than like pulling on a hamstring to get more range of motion. You know, there's like now suddenly we're now suddenly we're asking really interesting questions. Like, let me pose one to you as an example. Um, when you do a hamstring curl, for example, you know, the prone machine where you have the little rolly thing on your ankle and you're doing a hamstring curl, uh, your hamstring contracts and puts tension 
on the tendon. That's what happens when you contract a muscle. It pulls on the tendon, so the tendon is under tension. Well, when you do a hamstring stretch, like you're on your back and you do supta padangustasana, for example, like a straight leg raise, you know, you're putting the hamstring and the tendon under tension. So, you know, now I can ask a question now that you understand what tension is. Like, is, does the tendon know the difference between the tension from a stretch or the tension from a contraction? If the mechanical response is tension, like, what, what does it know the difference? And if it does know the difference, how? And and what are the effects? What are the differing effects? So these are the types of things that, that the rest of the book explores because stretching for range of motion for me is um, more of a, something that more, I'm more interested in the nervous system for that. So then mm -hmm. the book goes into to, to be able to answer these questions. And, you know, we don't have exact answers, but now I need to talk about what's the tendon made of, you know, what, what, what's the function in the tendon that has it changed and that has it response. So we have to talk about cells and, you know, we have to talk about the collagen and we have to talk about its structure and its arrangement and, and its mechanical properties, so to speak. And now that we were actually talking about these tendons and these ligaments and these joint capsules, now, now we actually know what we're talking about instead of some thing that you learned, which is the tendon connects muscle to bone. You don't really know what the tendon is if, that, if that's all you know about it, right? So when you know what it's made of and how it behaves and, and how the cell regulates its, you know, its, uh, its production and all of that, now you, now you can have really interesting conversations. And so that's pretty much what goes next. And then we start talking about injury and pathology and start challenging tissue damage um, being a direct correlation to pain. So there's just a little touch of pain science. I didn't want to go down the pain science rabbit hole. So I just introduced some, some ideas. And then in the end, we can, now we can talk about things like, like, is headstand dangerous? Is it dangerous to flex your spine? Um, is it dangerous to put your knees over your toes? What is core stability? Does the spine need core stability for to be safe? You know, but but without understanding all of this tissue mechanics, we're just saying, well, you know, I was I was told it's unsafe to bend over without a straight spine, so therefore it must be because we're not we don't have enough information to dissect the the conversation, and so I guess that's in a nutshell, in three minutes, <laughs> what the things that we talk about in a workshop. That's a, and in that is a densely packed nutshell. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a lot. <laughs> well, I understand. You see, you see why one part of that doesn't, isn't enough. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like one part doesn't tell enough of the story. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and I understand that part of what led you down this path was injury in your own yoga practice without this information. Mm -hmm. But I also sense just from you going through, even in a, in a very short amount of time in a concentrated little sneak behind or a peek behind the curtain, just how intrigued you are with the inquiry of, of the human body. So my question for you now is like, what is the reason? You know, why why does it matter? Why is it important that we consider this stuff? For you, is it is it still mainly about the effect of preventing harm on the body, or is this something to become more acquainted with ourselves, or both? Um, I think it's definitely the latter. You know, I mean, this is this is my spiritual practice is is the study of anatomy and biomechanics, and um, and therefore inevitably the study of evolution and the study of embryology, because you can't study anatomy without studying both of those. 
And so for me, it's really more the, the awe of the human body, the awe of, um, of, of life, you know, and of, of living tissues. And, um, and, you know, I just want to learn it all because that's, it, that's the, that's how I am embodied in, in my, in my own existence is through understanding all of this or, or, or more so being in awe of how little we understand and kind of the phenomena that is, that is life. I think that's far more interesting. And then, then add pain science to all of that. And it gets even more interesting, you know, why we hurt when we hurt all of that. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it, it's definitely shifted. It started a little bit more like, well, you know, why am I hurting when I'm doing yoga? And now it's like, now it's like, I don't, I'm so, I'm on such the other end. And this is such a personal practice for me, all of this knowledge that it's like, oh, that's interesting that that hurts. Like it doesn't, you know, it's, yeah, I'm not even yeah. emotionally attached to it. You know, it's like, oh, I did way too many pull-ups. Like I have a, you know, I have a temporary overloaded tendon. It's reactive. How interesting, how cool I can, you know, like it doesn't even, I'm not even Yeah, I wonder what happened it. if I did five more. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not emotional about it at all. Um, and I think that's a really great place to be because I think we tend to be very emotional, especially about our yoga practice. And it's, we get upset when it doesn't do what we expect it to, you know, and when it does what we expect it to, we make these unreasonable conclusions about it. And so it's this like, just, you know, it doesn't always have to be that emotional. Sometimes it just is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> but, but now, you know, you could have emotion tied up with, well, why isn't my yoga practice giving me new interesting questions anymore? It's mm -hmm. become stale for my mind. So, I mean, it, it goes on and on. You, yeah. Can we really avoid any emotional attachment, even if <laughs> our our lens changes? Yeah. Yeah. I, you I mean, said, of course uh, not. We're human. Cannot... We're always emotional. <clears throat> yeah, of course. You you said you said that you can't study anatomy without. Um, without a grasp of embryology. What did you mean by that? Well, I just, I think it's more that um, you can't study anatomy without inevitably landing on the study of embryology and evolution. Um, I think that's more of an accurate statement. Uh, you just, I mean, an anatomy in itself is just, if you need to define it, it's the study of the structures of the human body. Mm -hmm. But there's no time component in that. Like you identify a muscle, you identify, you know, a, a, any structure from the microscopic to the macroscopic, whether you're doing, you know, histology, which would be the microscopic, or you're doing uh, gross anatomy, which is the macroscopic or, and everything in between there, but there's no time function in that it's identification of the structures, but those structures in a lifetime aren't, you know, it, we're not elastic waistbands, right? Like where the structure changes from a single cell <laughs> to, a, you know, inevitable death. And so now when you add time, a person's lifetime or a day or just a simple adaptation to, you know, a, a personal training session at the gym or a simple adaptation to a yoga practice, a, an hour of yoga to someone with arthritis or what, pick any, any variable of time. And now suddenly you're like, okay, well, we need to look at development. We need to look at, you know, embryology being the development within the person, person and the origin of these tissues and the origin of these structures. 
and then uh, evolution, looking at you know at populations over time. And so, uh, you just can't you can't separate that from anatomy at mm. some point. Of course, in the beginning, it's easy to, but the further you study anatomy, that then I think you just naturally end up yeah. considering the other two topics as well. Sure. Yeah. Where where's all of this? anatomy coming from and where is it going? Yeah. Embryology being where did I come from? And then evolution being where did we come from? <laughs> you know, like mm -hmm. how did we get here? <laughs> yeah. So what are your biggest questions right now? Like what is feeding your curiosity with your practice and your investigation of, of biomechanics or, or even if it's outside of the realm of biomechanics? Uh, I mean, it's definitely in the realm of biomechanics. Um, you know, I guess what's, what's, what would be next for me would be spending a little bit more time with the fluid dynamics, just, just spending a little bit time, more time focusing on the, um, the water components of the body, right? The, all of our fluids, because that's a little bit of, bi of biomechanics the way I've studied it, but that would be the next step. And then of course that would take you into the biochemistry and the biochemistry gets complicated very quickly. And uh, yeah, I'm more of a physicist in my mind than a chemist, but I, mm -hmm. I do like chemistry. So those, those are where I have kind of more questions and where I've sort of stopped. I wouldn't say stopped, but kind of drawn a, a, a loose line in the sand with my studies because I if I add that into the story, it's going to be a bigger, longer story. And so mm -hmm. I, I allude to some of the biochemical changes and reactions, but I haven't like spent a serious amount of time with it. I just, I'm familiar with it, but not enough where I would just spontaneously lecture on it for four hours. <laughs> and so that would kind of be my next area of study, I would say. Um, but not necessarily anytime soon. I mean, I poured my life into this book, and uh, it's been out a year, and I, I just like I'm, I'm getting better at teaching the contents of the book. Like I'm still really wrapped up in this. I'm not ready to put it aside and start researching part two. Sure. Um, maybe, <laughs> maybe in a year or two or a little bit later. But I feel like I still have a story to tell with this that is not a tired story yet, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Like it's still so novel to so many people that I still have work to do getting the message out. Definitely. Yeah. I, I hear you. Uh, so for, for those listening who, um, are, whose interest has been piqued, who would you say this book is, is for, is it for yoga practitioners, yoga teachers, um, um expressly, or <clears throat> is there a certain type of student that, that would, it would appeal to the most? I would say it's probably more for teachers. I mean, a student who has an interest in physics and math or engineering of any sort would love it. You know, like I have so many, I have so many people that come to my courses that say, oh, my husband's an engineer. And I went home and talked about this and he was so excited. You know, so <laughs> it like, because even like just even an engineer doesn't realize like a material science engineer might not realize that we have this information on biological tissues. So they're like, oh, wow, that's cool. You know, I think any... And I also think like any, you know, any other movement modality trainers and Pilates people who are interested in this will, would enjoy it. Um, but it has a, it has a major 
expectation that the reader knows yoga and is familiar with teaching yoga cues. So I don't like, there's no instructions on how to do the poses. Do you know what I mean? It's not, it's mm -hmm. not a book for someone to get to be like, I'm going to start a yoga practice. So it's definitely yeah. not that. It's definitely a, a glimpse into what we say and do as yoga teachers and um, how, not how we can like make it better. I'm not trying to like cut down anyone, just how we can refine our questions and refine our language uh, just to be you know, a little bit more um, supportive in like the amazing capacity of the human body and, and a little bit less like you're going to hurt yourself. Don't do it this way. This is bad. I think we, that message is, that message is out there because it's the, it's the message that's easier to sell. And so I think this is the antidote to that, you know, like, like, okay, there's that message, but let's look at it from an objective perspective. And maybe it's just a, a, a more monetizable uh, message, but there, what's the other side of that? Mm -hmm. That's yoga biomechanics, stretching redefined, and it's available Amazon and I'm, I'm sure retailers all over. Uh, I'm going to add to that actually. Yeah. Um, I have a very niche publisher out of the UK. And okay. if you get it on Amazon, it's not the best way to get it for the publisher or for me. Oh, By really? all means, okay. I know this is the world of Amazon, so I'm not telling you not to go to Amazon. But the the best way to get the book is to order it from the publisher. Uh, it, like they just don't have an Amazon account because they're a small niche publisher. Um, and the okay. publisher is Handspring Publishing. And if you go to their website and punch in your email for their newsletter, they'll send you a 15% off code with free shipping. So like, you know how when you buy something, you get now put on their email list, get on the email list first and get the code, and then you can order it with 15% off and free shipping and they'll get it to you. Well, there you have it. Heard it here first. I'm glad that <laughs> I brought that up and <laughs> got a chance to add on. Yeah. Are there other opportunities coming up? I know we're living in the the COVID-19 global pandemic era right now, but mm -hmm. assuming that that changes at some point in the future, do you have trainings coming up or any other sort of events that you'd like to share with the audience? Yeah, I mean, I'm just booked through 2021. So as soon as I'm allowed to get on a plane, I will. I just don't know when that will be. Um, but that being said, even the upcoming things I have, I'm converting them to online. I have my teacher training, which is four weeks. I'm converting parts of that to online. So I'm working. Uh, I'm just not getting on airplanes right now. But I'm hoping that as soon as this resolves itself, I'll be in a city near you because I've got a full schedule and it's on my website right now. So there's nothing, not one particular to highlight because there's just so many all over the place. Okay. Sounds good. Well, I think now is the perfect time to start winding things down. I end all of these conversations with something that I call the prana round. And this is six rapid fire questions. And I ask you, please answer in minimum one word and maximum one sentence. Okay. All right. I'll try. All right. Here we go. In one word, why do you practice yoga? Attention. What's your favorite yoga pose and why? Shavasana. It doesn't need a why, does it? Yeah, it doesn't really need a why, does it? <laughs> What's the single best cue or piece of advice that you've ever received from one of your yoga teachers? It doesn't matter. 
Nice. That's good. <laughs> That's good. Recommend one book, modern or ancient, for our audience, which will go alongside, of course, your book, which will be linked in the show notes. I don't have the exact title. It's the evolution of the human body or the story of the human body by Lieberman. I think that's a great book to get people. I'm not going to say more because you asked me not to say more. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's good. I'll add that one in. Next question. Is yoga for everyone? Absolutely. Last question for you, Jules. How can our audience get in touch with you and how can we support you in your dharma? Uh, you can find me on my website, julesmitchell.com, and you can support me in my dharma by attending a course, reading my book, um, joining my book club. So you can I like I like to interact with people. So if you join my book club, we can you can interact with me about the book, which would be my favorite way. And that's an online thing. Perfect. Well, Jules, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. I hope that you are managing well during this very strange time. And uh, I'm glad that we got a chance, chance to meet virtually. Hopefully we can meet in person at some point in the, in the safer future. Yes. Thank you for having me. Dharma Talkers, I hope you enjoyed listening to that conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. And if you did, please share it. Take a screenshot, share it on Instagram, and tag me, at Henry Wins. I love hearing from you about the conversations that make an impact for you. We have the ability to shape the world through our thoughts, words, and conversation. So let's influence the collective consciousness together. All my gratitude to Rory Wagstaff of Ease of Mind Productions for keeping our audio crisp and operations smooth, and to Patrick Kiebzak of Momentology Music and Art for supplying the powerful soundtrack to these conversations. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review, and tune in to new episodes of Dharma Talk every Thursday. I'll speak to you next week, and until then, keep living your Dharma.